Hello, and welcome to this special encore presentation from the All Things Right and Musical Archives. I'm David, I'm an organist, and we're going to listen today to two episodes from about three years ago that were both part of our Holy Week series. So uh, these two episodes are for Maundy Thursday and Good Friday. And whether you listen before these days, this Holy Week 2021, or whether you listen to these episodes after, we hope that these episodes give you another opportunity to reflect and meditate on these days in Holy Week and their attendant liturgies in this most unusual year. So, without any further ado, we'll begin with the episode for Maundy Thursday. Hi, I'm David. I'm an organist. And I'm Ian, and I'm a priest. And this is All Things Right and Musical. So today we're here for part two of our Holy Week series. We're talking about Maundy Thursday. Maundy Thursday. The mandatum novum. The new the new commandment. Correct. Yes. Yeah. Very good. That's where the word mondi comes from. Right. Yeah. Which is why you sometimes hear people say Monday. Monday. Like it's another day of the week. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah. Good. So I was just looking at your liturgical <laughs> calendar over there on the wall. Yeah, you are. And, you know, the color of the day is red. Yes. But if you look at the bottom of Maundy Thursday, mm-hmm. it actually says white at the Eucharist. I know. And mm-hmm. I'm actually considering throwing that calendar away. <laughs> so why would it say white at the Eucharist? So even though the, that day and the rest of the, the rest of the week is red. This is jumping right to the heart of what's going on in Maundy Thursday. A lot. Right. Yeah, right. Yeah. Um, and there are... It, you know, maybe not to the same degree as um, Palm Sunday, which we talked about, but uh, there are sort of two different things going on on Monday, Thursday. Mm-hmm. You have uh, the institution of the Eucharist, mm-hmm. which for a lot of people is the central emphasis of Monday, Thursday. But you also have the new commandment the washing of the feet and the the commandment that we love one another as Christ has loved us. And just as Jesus served us, we should serve each other. And all of that is sort of tied into the washing of the feet. Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. The, the washing of the feet is sort of the liturgical rite that embodies that theological concept. Right. So you have these sort of two streams of thought um, that ideally are sort of both at play together, but you, especially when it comes to, you know, binary decisions like liturgical color, you have to come down on one side or the other. Sure. Yeah. You can't have both. Right. I mean, um, I guess you could, it'd just be really confusing what you're trying to do. Right. Yeah. Um, and so places where they use red or ox blood, um, or whatever their Holy Week vestments and pyramids are, are making that theological decision that the, that the true center of gravity around Monday Thursday is the new commandment, mm-hmm. is this commandment to love each other, to serve each other, right? Mm-hmm. Right. And those who use white are saying that the center of gravity really truly is around the institution of the Eucharist, 
which is why in the midst of Lent, in the midst of Holy Week, no less, Mm -hmm. we're using festal vestments and even sometimes breaking out the A word. Really? The, the, the Alleluia. I I mean, I used it once by accident um, (laughs) because it got, it got included in the Psalm when it should not have been. Yeah. Um, I, I, I shudder to admit that publicly. Um, nobody's perfect, mm, but, um, I don't think you're supposed to use the Alleluia on that day. The the thing that I would have a question about is the Gloria, uh-huh. because that, that seems to be a tradition at a lot of, uh, higher, higher churches mm-hmm. that you would, you would have the Gloria at the beginning of the liturgy that day uh-huh. when you haven't heard it all of Lent. And in most places, you're not going to hear it again until Easter, but then it sort of makes an appearance, uh, in connection to the festivity of that day. Right. But I, I think there are some places and probably not as many, um, where they will actually say the A word. Really? Yeah. Hmm. Um, and then sort of shut it back up until Easter. That's weird. Yeah. Yeah. But it's, I mean, but it's interesting because that's the, that's essentially what you're doing when you use white vestments, but nobody thinks about that. Right. Hmm. Yeah. Um, you're essentially saying this is a feast day yeah. in the midst of Holy Week. Or, or yeah, in the midst of Holy Week or at the beginning of the Triduum. Right. Because um, this is the day that sort of kicks it off. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so, I mean, it may already, I may be tipping my hand already. You may be able to tell where my um, point of view is. Yeah. <laughs> and I'm trying to think about the ways that I've celebrated this. Uh-huh. I don't think I've ever celebrated it with white vestments. Yeah. Um, I think I may have celebrated it with the Gloria. Yeah, but my memory's kind of foggy on that point. Uh-huh. So, but it's but it's interesting. Um, there's there's a number of different ways that people will celebrate it. Sometimes it's just a, a normal uh, normal Eucharist with the washing of the feet. Mm-hmm. Um, oh yeah, that's totally normal. Right. <laughs> well, it was it's, it's the fifth Sunday after Epiphany, so we're washing our feet today. <laughs> Totally normal. Yeah, totally normal. Yeah. yeah. No big deal. Uh, I may have mentioned this before. D- did we talk about how foot washing was actually part of the Milanese baptismal rite? Uh, no. So it used to be in okay. the, in the, in the rite of Milan, uh-huh. the Milanese rite. Um, it, it used to be part of the baptismal rite hmm. with the idea that as soon as you be, become a Christian, you are prepared to serve, hmm. which I think is awesome. So you would be baptized and then you would, you, so you, I'm, I'm imagining immersion baptism. Yeah. Then you would get out and then wash somebody's feet. It would right. be like the first thing you do. Yeah. Wow. That's yeah. intense. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and also very wet. Like there's just a right. lot, just a lot of water everywhere. Yeah. Abundance of water. Yeah. It, uh, you know, it's meant to be that symbol of abundance. So mm-hmm. let's, let's get everybody soaked. Right. So Monday Thursday actually has, um, there's two suggested gospels for it. Right. Oh, really? Which have, Oh, look at that page 274 of the prayer book, which sort of echo that sort of two possibilities. Right. So one of those is John, it's the foot washing, mm-hmm. the, the story of the foot washing. And the other is Luke. And that's the, that's the institution of the Eucharist. Hmm. So you have the choice even in the gospel. And now the, the, um, Episcopal lectionary actually has another, a third option. Oh, this is getting confused now. Which is a longer version of John. Oh, okay. Which is that John passage, but actually expanded to include the phrase new commandment. Hmm. Um, which is what I would wager most people have probably heard. Maybe. So, so this is a point of sort of confusion in our, in our prayer book at the present, right? Because the, the lesson 
options are actually printed here on page 274. Right. But in the revised common lectionary that we've adopted, there's yet another choice you're saying. Exactly. Yeah. Which is John 13, instead of 1 through 15, as is listed on 274 as one of the options, it's 13, 1 through 17, and then 31b through 35. So it's an expanded version of John's gospel that includes the phrase new commandment, includes the new commandment. I see. Okay. So isn't just about foot washing, but is about foot washing and, and connecting that to the idea of love and to service. Um, and I know that we just threw a lot of scripture at people. So we'll, we'll put all that in the show notes and let people explore that on our website. Absolutely. Right. And musical.org. Um, but, but it shows that at the time the prayer book was, was written, those two sort of schools of thought both held sway. Yeah. 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 To the point where it was a binary option, this one or that one. Hmm. And I think that um, I think that ideally, and and incidentally, the Catholics agree with me on this because um, Roman the Roman Catholic Church has essentially spun off Corpus Christi, the Feast of Corpus Christi, as a way of celebrating the importance of the Eucharist and the institution of the Eucharist that takes that out of. Monday Thursday, so that Monday Thursday doesn't have to do the heavy lifting for both of those concepts. That's interesting. And Corpus Christi, I know, is observed in some Anglican places, not very many. Yeah, I mean, it's not on our calendar. Yeah. But some particularly Anglo-Catholic parishes will commemorate the day somehow. And it's always the Thursday after Trinity. Right. If I remember correctly. I think you're right. Yeah. Um, so this is interesting. I, I was I picked up my Leonel L. Mitchell guide. Uh, Lent, Holy Week, Easter, and the Great 50 Days. And um, there is a remark here about about this. The late medieval tradition of celebrating a festal Eucharist in white vestments with the singing of the Gloria in excelsis, turning the day into a sort of Corpus Christi festival, was generally adopted by Anglicans in the late 19th and early 20th centuries. But it has been widely rethought. Yeah. Yeah. He goes on to say, most places prefer a more subdued celebration using the Holy Week red vestments and singing the Trisagion rather than the Gloria. I would not want to sing the Trisagion, though. I would want to sing the Kyrie. Yeah. I mean, really, I would want to sing whatever I'd been singing throughout Lent. I don't think it, I don't think it makes sense to just arbitrarily switch to the Trisagion. He says to make the connection with Good Friday, but I'm not sure that's necessary. I, I you know, I can see an argument for doing something... To, to, to recognize the fact that there is something distinct about the triduum. So Monday Thursday is not meant to be a standalone liturgy. It's right. sort of part one of three. Mm-hmm. It's, a, it's a trilogy that you're meant to sort of um, binge watch or, mm-hmm. or binge celebrate. <laughs> um, That's an interesting analogy. <laughs> but so so I I I can understand um although I'm not wedded to this but I can understand wanting to say we should do something to recognize the fact that this is not just more lent um that this is the beginning of something new something something drastically different um and something hugely important whether that means um changing from the Kyrie to the Trisagion I don't know but but I I think you could make a case for it that makes sense yeah I hear that. Um, so the foot washing is uh, is optional. 
the yes. way the way that the prayer book talks about it. When yes. when observed, mm-hmm. the ceremony of the washing of feet appropriately follows the gospel. Um, yeah. So foot washing was not a part of our previous prayer book. I'm guessing it was introduced with this prayer book, and it, you know, like a lot of the things introduced in the seventy nine prayer book, is not universal. Right. Yeah. Um. Not universal among the the wider church and not universal among the Episcopal church. There are a lot of places that don't do this. Or, uh, if you'll forgive me for saying so, do it poorly. Are you talking about representatives? Talking about representatives or the idea that, uh, yeah, I mean, representative doing foot washing for representative members of the congregation or doing foot washing for even worse the clergy and the altar party and no one else. But why is that so bad? Because isn't, isn't a big part of the spirit of the foot washing, the clergy in particular, I think I don't have book of vocational services in front of me, Mm -hmm. but isn't there some line about clergy in particular need to be reminded of their office to serve or something like that? Yeah. I mean, so there is a, there is a longer tradition of connecting Monday Thursday with the clergy in particular, but, um, (sighs) I, I don't know. I kind of reject that as as sort of a a, a clericalist um, insertion. I think that you know. So we have the institution narrative, mm-hmm. okay, which we hold to be sort of compelling. Mm-hmm. Do this in remembrance of me. Well, um, y- even in the Monday Thursday liturgy. Uh, we say the Lord Jesus, after he had supped with his disciples and had washed their feet, said to them, do you know what I, your Lord and master have done to you? I have given you an example that you should do as I have done. He says the same thing. Yeah. Yeah. Um, which, which I find, um, somewhat convicting, Mm -hmm. you know, that, that, that he's saying, this is a good thing to do. And even if I, even if I don't, um, understand it perfectly, or even if it's not as well thought out in the in the liturgical and theological tradition as the Eucharist, I think that Jesus says this is something that we should be doing for each other. That, yeah, that, that is really interesting. Why is it that um, sacramentally mm-hmm. the Eucharist became a sacrament? Yeah, and foot washing did not because I, it's at the same same location in the Gospels. Yeah, he essentially says the same thing. I know. That is, I, that is a little bit funny when you step back and look at it. It's always it's always been sort of incredible to me. But but it goes back to the earliest tradition. You know, the, the Milanese Rite is not one of the oldest ones we have. I mean, it's one of the oldest that we have. But it's the only one that had a real strong sacramental sense of foot washing um, enacted in their liturgy. Mm-hmm. Well... That's not compelling enough for most people, but for me, I think that I think that the gospel actually is. I think that this is an important thing for us to do, and it's an important thing for all of us to do, for yeah. all of us to recognize that we serve each other. Yeah, because he's not talking to the. I don't know what that would be like. Right. Jesus is not talking to the clergy here. Exactly. Exactly. Um, I mean, he's talking to the disciples, but right. Um, the the part that's compelling for me to read is on the facing page mm-hmm. of the prayer book two seventy five where he says, peace is my last gift to you. My own peace I now leave with you. Peace which the world I cannot give, I give to you. And this is a sort of anthem. I mean, you can see the way it's in, in the prayer book um, in italics. There's This is meant to be, I think, a sort of uh, versicle in response, or if it's sung as an, as an anthem, that's meant to be a refrain. In the last parish that I served, St. Paul's Richmond, these words were actually inscribed over the... Um, over the high altar of the church, mm-hmm. it said, um, "Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you." Yeah, um, sort of taking out the 
the high points of that of that verse and writing them sort of in gold leaf lettering um, on the very front of the church for you to look at year round. I mean, this is this is a fundamental moment of gospel teaching about Christian service, right? And about God's love. Yeah, 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 and about how we share that with the world. You know, I, I, <laughs> we, I, I should have mentioned this when we talked about ashes to go. But one of the things that I've always always thought is why aren't we, if we want to be visible mm-hmm. if we want to be um available and and sort of prominent in the community and known for something why are we picking that why are we picking the moment when we tell each other we're going to die why don't we pick this why don't we pick why don't we do foot washing to go mm-hmm. you know and say um th- this is how we are known by the fact that we love you and the fact that we serve you mm-hmm. um and obviously logistically it's not as easy as just having a cup of ashes but i think it's much more compelling a witness to the world to say this is this is something fundamental that we do yeah that would be really fascinating to see that to see that carried out. Yeah. Yeah. And I'd be, you know, I mean, there's, uh, there's other ways of doing, I, you know, in, in the conversation around ashes to go, I'd also, I, I, I should have mentioned, uh, I'd love to see like absolution to go, hmm. you know, um, where maybe you're not hearing a full confession. Um, but, but the idea that ashes convey penitence and reconciliation is a, is relatively new. Hmm. Like reconciliation wasn't really part of that. It was the end result after 40 days of sort of sitting in ashes. But, um, but the idea that, that we can be reconciled to one another, why don't we have absolution to go on, on Shrove Tuesday so Hmm. that people are confessing their sins before Lent begins and hearing God forgives you. God loves you. Yeah. Um, or, you know, I've heard someone suggest, why don't we do, um, actually my mother-in-law suggested, uh, why don't we do, um, healing and anointing, healing prayers and anointing to go. Um, and I think that's compelling too. Like, why don't we, why don't we try some of those Mm -hmm. as witnesses to the world Mm -hmm. as a way of saying to the world, you are beloved children of God. Mm -hmm. And by this, you'll know, you'll know that we are Christ's disciples. Mm. (laughs) That is an interesting idea. So I guess one of the th- one of the things about Ashes to Go is um, Ash Wednesday is one day in the middle of the week. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think that clergy typically feel a little bit more freedom around that day. Yeah, I mean even with the multiple liturgies that most parishes have, yeah, there's a little bit of leeway to get outside the building and do that. Unless so on Monday Thursday. I think saying. so because then yeah. you're faced with the the, ga- the gauntlet of Holy Week. No, that's fair. Um, but uh, that's not to say it's not a compelling idea, and I'd yeah. love to I'd love to hear if anybody takes you up on it. Yeah. <laughs> if you do, let us know. That's right. Yeah. So Monday Thursday always ends with the stripping of the altar. Not always. Oh, sorry. I mean, every <laughs> let me rephrase. <laughs> every Monday service, every Monday Thursday service I've participated in, ends with the stripping of the altar. But it is interesting; it's not mentioned at all in the prayer book. Right. It's not a. It's not a requirement. But you're right. I mean, most places tend to, if they do a Monday Thursday liturgy, they strip the altar at the end of it. And this is just funny the way that we observe these things on this day, because um, the prayer book had a pretty clear idea here that. If you were going to do something, you're going to do foot washing. It doesn't even mention the stripping of the altar. No. Nope. And I think the balance is actually switched. I can't think of a place that does not strip the altar. Right. On Monday, Thursday. Right. And yet. I and mean, the, yet plenty don't wash the feet. Plenty don't wash feet. Yeah. So it is It is interesting. I wonder if we're really living into the 
into the spirit of this prayer book yeah. on this day. I had a bigger thought about this too, uh-huh. which is um, you think about you think about the principal feast days being kind of inherently liturgically conservative. Okay. So I think we're approaching Easter. Yeah. And there's not much we can do to mess with Easter. Not a lot. Although, I mean, we did in the 79 prayer book change it quite a bit. Well, you're talking about the vigil. Right. I guess I'm, so backing, going backwards, uh-huh. Easter day. Yeah. If you mess with somebody's Easter day, oh, y- man. you're going to hear about it. Yep. So Easter day has to be Easter day for whatever that means for every congregation. Um, pastel suits, I believe. <laughs> Seersucker. Yeah. Um, with the vigil, and even with the vigil, I'll back up to uh, you know because that liturgy is pretty well prescribed. There, right. There's a right. lot. Of, there's and a lot of different ways you can to do the it. Seventy nine prayer book. It's it is very sort of traditional and ecumenically sort of agreed upon at least in terms of its general overall structure. Exactly. Yeah. Good Friday. You back up a little bit more, and we'll get into that in our next episode. Right. I think there's yeah there's a little bit more leeway there about like what time you want to observe the service how many times you want to observe the service although we're getting more strict about that are we'll, we we'll talk we'll save that for next we'll save time. that for next but time you're, you're right a little more than the vigil so Monday Thursday seems to be the day in the tri- in the triduum that is the most unsettled yeah. that I think can be celebrated the the, the the highest number of distinct ways if you will yeah because um, I'm I'm thinking about some pretty divergent practices that I know about. Um, there's that there's that other page in the in the book of occasional services that what does it say does it say it says an agape meal or oh agape gosh feast. we didn't even talk about this we didn't but in, in my previous parish the Monday Thursday liturgy actually began with an agape feast it wasn't called that but that's that's what it was so and I should have mentioned this so that's one practice an agape meal and and I'll come back to that because there's two other I want to allude to real quick okay um, which I am not at all a fan of okay uh, and the first is having a quote-unquote Christian Seder well see that's that's what it was called when I when I yeah <laughs> um, a Christian Seder is a is a well-meaning impulse that uh, that is just wildly disrespectful to to the Jewish tradition. Yeah. So I was so growing up in the Presbyterian Church. We actually had one, and we didn't call it, we didn't even label it as Christian. Yeah. We just said, "Oh, we're having a Seder dinner." Right. And we did it in our Presbyterian parish hall, and we opened the door for Elijah and the whole bit. Right. And I thought it was really neat. And sort of getting some distance from that, I realized this is really somebody else's liturgical tradition, faith tradition that we're kind of co-opting without really understanding what we're doing. And and what's more, it comes from a mistaken understanding of liturgical development. So there was a time where we believed that that the Seder was more or less the the preserved tradition and that the Eucharist had sort of sprung out of that tradition. Okay. And what we what we've come to understand is that that's not right. That in fact, um, Christian and Jewish practices solidified in some ways in contradistinction to one another. Uh, so in some ways the Seder came about as a way of saying, not, not answering because it's not as though the Eucharist came first, right. but yeah, but as a way of saying, this is what we do. And this is the practice that defines who we are as a people mm-hmm. also. And yeah, also that defines us in distinction or, or in contrast to those people over there who, um, maybe even sometimes consider themselves to be Jews or at least the inheritors of, of God's covenant. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's, it's, it's just, it's based on the idea that by doing this, we're sort of engaging in the precursor to the Eucharist, which is just, it's not, 
It's not correct. No. The and, Seder is and, not. And to be fair, I don't know that that's really how I experienced those meals as presented. Um, it, it was sort of more just the experience of, of the Seder elements uh-huh. uh, within a Christian context. Yeah. But not not as a precursor to the Eucharist. Well, Be- but, the, but the problem is, if you're doing that on this day, right. on Monday, oh, Thursday, no, of course. Then, you, then the connection that you're drawing is, is exactly to the institution that. No, of the Eucharist. You're right, you're right. I, I can't deny that. Um, but And you're right. I mean, whether that's conscious on the part of every particular worshiper, that's, that's an open question. But yeah. if you want to go to a Seder, talk to someone who's Jewish and ask if you can come to their Seder. Sure. Um, so, so yeah, why, um, and actually I'd be curious to see, do, do you have book of occasional services open? I do. Does it mention this day in connection with the agape meal, which it does not, it's careful not to call it. It does. It's agape for Monday, Thursday. And does, does the, <laughs> is the word agape in this book kind of just a placeholder for Seder? <laughs> or, I, or do you I, feel like this within book of occasional services is it kind of distinct enough i just i can't remember the specifics of the contents of this book i will say that the the last time i was involved with this it felt very much like a prototype kind of liturgy yeah it i, I mean it it is I, so the 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 prayers that you're using are are rudimentary attempts at the baruch adonai eloheinu um the 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 sort of brachot prayers of the passover seder so it's 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 not saying it's a Seder. But it's borrowing all the elements. Exactly. Yeah. Or maybe not all, but it's it's borrowing heavily enough that it's still based on the premise that this is this is meant to be connected with yeah. that. Uh, the, the, and the last time I was involved with this, in the particular instance that I was involved in, it, things started to get really blurred because the foot washing would actually occur as part of this as part of this agape meal. And I found that to be sort of bizarre. Yeah. Um just things were getting really muddled. Yeah. And I, so this is sort of back to my thesis that, you know, this day is sort of far, far enough removed that you could really start to mess start, with it. Yeah. Start to, yeah. start to try a little bit too much maybe. Well, and the, and the, the, the other option. So we, the, you have the agape, you have the Seder, and then you also have some places that will put on a sort of reenactment of the last supper. Oh, I haven't come across that. Um, and maybe that's not common in the Episcopal Church, but I know um, in the Methodist Church, I've been places that have done that. And, the, and people who find it particularly meaningful. But again, you're making a decision that this is where the center of gravity for this particular day actually rests, is at the institution of the Eucharist. And that is important. The Eucharist is important. It's central to our theology, to our worship, to who we are as a people. Mm-hmm. Um, but... That's not all that Monday Thursday is about. Basically, you should do foot washing, right? I, well, I uh, maybe. <laughs> <laughs> I, I think the best practice to uh-huh, me, uh-huh. to me, um, is to do foot washing because of what that represents liturgically, mm-hmm. because of what a rich symbol that is of love, um, of the love that Christ had for us and the love that we're to have for each other and the ways in which we are meant to serve each other. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's the best practice. And I think placing the emphasis there and on the new commandment rather than just this sort of commemoration of the of the institution of the Last Supper, because we do that every Sunday. Oh, sure. Yeah. We do that every single Sunday. Mm-hmm. And, and that is important. 
Um, but if you make this just a sort of commemoration of that, it, I think... It puts the emphasis in the wrong place. Yeah, it makes it makes Monday Thursday a memorial mm-hmm. rather than a, a, a living, timeless liturgy that we enter into and and part one of the triduum. There's there's one other interesting example, and I uh, I'm not sure I remember clearly how this goes, but I think um, at All Saints Indianapolis, uh, and I, I hope that we have at least one listener who attends there who can write in and and tell us if we're on the right track. Uh-huh. But they do the liturgy. Um, the the Monday Thursday liturgy, uh, I think sort of, um, I I would wager they include the foot washing, and then uh, just prior to the point where you would strip the altar, I think they all leave and have sort of a simple agape feast uh, in their parish hall, mm-hmm. which as it as it manifests itself is sort of silent, and then someone stands up and reads from one of the church fathers while everybody's eating. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think I'm remembering this right, and if I'm not, I'll just cut it out. Um, and then after that meal, they all go back in the church for the stripping of the altar and then they go home. And that sounds like yet another kind of, you know, interesting, uh, take on, on the liturgy. Yeah. I've never, I've never heard of that. Yeah. Um, my only resistance to that would be anytime you sort of break the liturgy up and sandwich something in the middle, I think it always, it always conveys way more than you intend for it to convey. Or way less than you contend for it to, you mean for it to convey. I don't know though, because we're saying we're saying in the in the grand scheme of things here that these are not separate liturgies. Yeah. So what does it mean to break them up? I mean, if you're saying the liturgy continues the next day, mm-hmm. then you going home and going to bed is not ending the liturgy. You're right. You're right. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's an interesting point. I don't know. There's something about this day in particular, and I'm not sure. I'm not sure what it is. I'm not able to articulate it yet. Mm-hmm. That it is open to a little bit more innovation and experimentation than we feel, than we encounter in the rest of Holy Week. Mm-hmm. I still want to do the Gloria. Yeah. <laughs> right on. Okay. Don't let me stop you. <laughs> Hello, everyone. Once again, this is David. In the present, 2021, just checking in to see how you're doing. You're doing a great job. Uh, You've made it halfway through now, this retrospective supercut of all things right and musical Holy Week episodes. We've just covered Maundy Thursday, and we're about to move on to Good Friday. So let's travel back in time once again to um, versions of ourselves that were three years younger and three years less wise. I guess you could say. But still, I think we had a good conversation about Good Friday, and here it is. We have to be we have to be quiet because the prayer book says we enter in silence. This is this is not a good joke for a podcast. <laughs> Everybody is like tapping on their earbuds, like, what? What happened? What's happening? Uh yeah, so we're we're here to talk about Good Friday. We sure are. I'm David, I'm an organist. And I'm Ian, and I'm a priest. And this is All Things Right and Musical, the Good Friday episode. Good Friday. It's so austere, actually, we've omitted our theme music. Oh, okay. Yeah, I don't know if you heard that. I, uh, it, 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 it well, no, I didn't hear it, it well, right, which exactly, is the point. Right? Exactly, it didn't come on. Yeah. yeah. There'll be, actually, there'll be no music this episode, as is traditional for the day. Right. I mean, in terms of instrumental music. Uh-huh. Um, there's plenty of singing. Because uh, you could sing the whole passion if you wanted to, right? But uh, one of the one of the 
customs around this day is that you would not uh, have any instrumental music or organ music. And that comes from the fact that um, when stripping the altar, usually the pipe organ would be disassembled. <laughs> not disassembled. <laughs> um, but sometimes, yeah, sometimes if you had uh, large wooden doors that would cover the pipework, they'd be closed for all of Lent or... If they weren't closed for Lent, you'd close them. You'd close them for Good Friday, right? Yeah. So you don't take it apart. It's just so much work. I mean, you wouldn't have time. Like by the time you took it apart, it'd be Easter, and then you'd have to use it. I mean, maybe you wouldn't have time. <laughs> it depends. It depends on how big a pipe organ we're talking about here. Uh, one manual. Uh, yeah, uh, I don't even know what that means. <laughs> you just said it. It's just a word that right. I've heard referred to organs. So a manual is a keyboard. Yes. So a one manual. Those are pretty rare that you would see a one manual organ. Right. The only the only one manual. Well, that's not true. I I did play I did play a one manual organ with a pedal board one time. Uh huh. At a church in Vermont. Uh huh. Um, Saint Barnabas in Norwich. All right. Very nice little organ. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway, Good Friday. Good Friday. So, yeah, it begins in silence. No processional hymn. Well, that's true, because it does say that you enter in silence. Yeah. And this is this goes along with what we were talking about in our episode from last week about Maundy Thursday, that that liturgy actually does not end. Right. There's no dismissal right. to that liturgy. There's no blessing, certainly. Mm-hmm. Um, the idea is you kind of put everything on pause until... Good Friday, and then you pick it up. Yeah, and if you if you if you plan on having communion on Good Friday, you actually consecrate it the day before, mm-hmm. um, in order to sort of uh, not just not just in advance, but as a way of saying sort of this is this is part of the same thing. Mm-hmm. That 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 single celebration of the Eucharist on Monday Thursday sort of carry carries over to good right. friday if right, you right. if you want it to yeah if you want to receive the sacrament on this day right yeah um and and good friday too instead of beginning with you know an opening sentence or an opening acclamation or anything it begins with a with a collect basically mm-hmm. well but the, the I, I do love the very beginning it's optional in the prayer book yeah but i do love that very beginning versicle and response that you can do yeah blessed be our god and the people respond forever and ever, Amen. Right. That is very stark. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I mean, it, it it's the, one of the shortest uh, acclamations we have. Yeah. At the beginning of a liturgy like this. Right. Right. So I should say that it doesn't have the sort of acclama- opening acclamations that we're used to. Right. It's different. Yeah. Yeah. From the outset. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then you sort of jump right into the readings. You've got a few different options, and then you hear the Passion. And again, the Passion, just like it was on Palm Sunday, is introduced differently mm-hmm. than the Gospel normally would be. Right, it's just it's introduced as the Passion, Yeah, and there's no response to that. Right. And it can be sung, same way that you can sing it on, on Palm Sunday, mm-hmm. uh, divided up into three parts. You know, one thing we didn't talk about on Palm Sunday is that tradition of um, splitting it up into spoken parts. Because that that, right. that expands that tradition usually beyond the kind of traditional three roles. Right. I mean, if you have a script for it, uh-huh. you're liable to involve, I don't know, eight or nine different people. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Sometimes I find that to be a little bit like community theater hour at church. It 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 really can be. Yeah. That's the thing is it, it you have to be. I, let me, so let me just say, I think it's harder to do that well. Yeah. Than to do it poorly. 
I, I would agree with that. And that's not to say that you can't do it well or that no one should ever do it. Um, but I, I think that places that do that as a default, just so that you're not hearing the same person's voice. Well, but I think, see, we've gone to the other extreme. Like when is the last time that you've ever heard a single person uh-huh. read the passion gospel? Like it's not so long as to be prohibitive for a single person to do it. It's just, you never hear it done that way. I've heard it done that way. Oh, have you? I have. <laughs> Good. Thanks for, yeah. pro- thanks for proving me wrong. I mean, I, it's not common. No, I, not it's in not my experience. It's not the usual, but yeah. I have heard it done that way. I mean, yeah, it is It is lengthy. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't really want to wish that on anyone either. So I see why it's, you know, I see why it's broken up. But yeah. I, I don't know. I think I just think we want to be a little bit more thoughtful about the way we're doing that as a church. Right. Right. And and um, having the having the different spoken parts, if it's not well rehearsed and it's not a well oiled machine, yeah, that's the thing. I mean, it it ends he- up the hesitations, or you say a line in the wrong place, and and we're we're talking about adults nine yeah. times out of ten, right? And yet the effect that it gives is sort of like you know a poorly rehearsed uh, Christmas pageant. Yeah, you know? yeah. It can it can and, have that flavor. And that's not the effect you want to have on this day. No. So it especially rubs me wrong if it's done poorly on Good Friday. I uh-huh. mean, it it especially I think it's especially disruptive within within the solemn liturgy on Good Friday. Uh huh. Yeah, I mean, because there is something there is something different. Palm Sunday can, in many other ways, be treated like a somewhat different Sunday morning. Sure. But if you've got people who showed up for Good Friday, the odds are good that they're there for the Triduum, Mm -hmm. which means that, um, that you want Good Friday to sort of, to, to, to be a part of the whole, but to, to have the emphasis that it's meant to have. Mm -hmm. And it really can take you out of that if it, if it has that sort of pageant feel. Right. So then we get beyond the, Passion Gospel. Oh, I I always do like to stand at Golgotha. Yeah. Um, this this is the John reading is the one that has Gabbatha too, isn't it? I think so. And sometimes people hear that word and think it's Golgotha and they stand up. Yes. Have you ever seen that? Yes. Yeah, that's that's I have. Luckily, they're not too too far apart in the readings. So right. You're kind of okay if you you just stand up a little. Early. Right. If you jump the gun, you're just yeah. up for a couple more lines. Right. Um. And then the solemn collects. Yes. These are really lovely. Yep. Um, and there, there was something that I, I didn't understand until I heard this done on a, on a webcast in a very particular way, mm-hmm. um, that the, the biddings are meant to be done by, um, the deacon uh-huh. and then the people kneel and then the collects that follow what we're actually referring to as the solemn collects uh-huh. are then generally prayed by the celebrant or someone else. Right. So no, usually by the celebrant. Yeah. So it's actually... In fact, that may be in the rubrics. Well, I don't think it is, which is why I think... Uh, no, what, it is. Oh, the is biddings really? may be read by a deacon or other person appointed. And then the celebrant, the celebrant says the collects. It does say it right there. Yeah. And yet, I had mostly seen that ignored yeah. in, in places that I've served. Yeah. So I think it is really nice when that... Well, it's a rubric. I think it is really nice when that rubric is followed because <laughs> it, it, it helps it helps sort of make the relationship clear from the biddings to the collects and then the the periods of silence in the middle. The other the other innovation or the other practice that I've seen around this is um, kneeling for those periods of silence. I think that helps that helps uh, break. The, I don't know. It helps give it some structure somehow. Uh huh. Have you ever seen that done? Say say that again. Kneeling for the yeah. The other thing that I've seen done with this is that the deacon will actually give the instruction to to kneel uh-huh. 
uh-huh. immediately before the silence. Uh-huh. At the end of the period of silence, he'll instruct people to stand up. So, so prayers while standing. The yeah, those biddings, the biddings, uh-huh. and pr- and prayers, mm-hmm. essentially, mm-hmm. and then kneel for the silence and stand up for the collect. Mm-hmm. I've never seen that done, mm-hmm. and I feel, I feel a little weird about it. Hmm. High church practice. Is it? I th- I think it is. I'm gonna I'm gonna look it up here. Hmm. It's one of those things that I. I you know, I don't know that it conveys what it's intended to convey. Yeah, this is mentioned in Mitchell. Uh-huh. Um, at the conclusion of each bidding, the deacon may say or sing, let us kneel in silent prayer. Mm. All kneel in place. The deacon says or sings, arise, and stands up. All stand, and the presider says or sings the collect. Hmm. Is that what you're reading in Mishnah too? Yeah, the deacon may direct the people to kneel for the period of silence. So that's part of the that's part of the heritage around this. Uh, yeah, around I've never collects. seen that done. It's an you know it's another like obviously you're not going to have an invalid Good Friday liturgy if you don't right. if you don't right. do the standing or kneeling, but it's another thing like uh, doing the great litany in procession. Uh-huh. Like there's nothing wrong with doing the great litany in place, mm-hmm. but there is something about the movement just for the for the duration of that prayer. That just gives it some more um, texture, gives it some more um, physicality, mm-hmm. um, in, in a way that I think is 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 useful in focusing our prayer. Yeah, yeah. I, uh, you know, I, I I think my my hesitance around this has to do with the function of the silence and the function of the biddings, because to me these are these are like it's it follows the form of the prayers of the people, right? Um, and, and is structured like the prayers of the people, but there's a collect for each portion of it. Right. Which, which to me gives it a, gives it a more solemn feel, um, which I think is intended. But if you, if you pray the, 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 if the biddings are said while everyone's standing and then you kneel for the silence, you're, you're saying that this is somehow wildly or distinctively different from the prayers of the people in that, instead of just saying what we're praying for and actually praying for it that way, mm-hmm. we have to tell you what to pray for, and then you need to kneel in silence and do it on your own. I don't know. I kind of like that. I kind of <laughs> like being told what to do, <laughs> at least on Good Friday. I'll listen to you. All right. Yeah. You know, I, as, a, as we're talking about this, I, I had a interesting idea that these solemn collects pulled out of this liturgy would make for a very interesting kind of... Um, service of lessons and, and music yeah. in Good Friday. I mean, that would be sort of an interesting prayer service if you treated each of these collects as the as the head of a section in, yeah. a, in a service like that. Yeah. And then after the solemn collects, you have, an, you have an option to end the service. Right. It says, the service may be concluded here with the singing of a hymn or anthem. Yeah. The Lord's Prayer and the final prayer. If you don't end the service there, then you typically do a, like a veneration of the cross. If you don't end the service there, you usually have um, 
a veneration. You usually have the veneration. Well, not always. I've seen some places not do veneration. But if you don't end the service there, usually you're going to have communion from the reserve sacrament. Oh, right. That's the other That's the other element to this. Um, but yeah, those are the two sort of additional options mm-hmm. that you can that you can add on, which are the, the veneration of the cross and the communion of the reserve sacrament. I've seen places do communion without veneration of the cross. Mm-hmm. I don't know that I've seen anyone do veneration without communion. Hmm. I don't know. I don't think I have. I don't know either. I have to think about that. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it looks like the rubrics would permit that. So you could have, you could just add veneration of the cross with one of the anthems and end it there and not do communion from the reserve sacrament. Right. And these anthems are really lovely. Yeah, and they pop up in different different pieces of uh, of choral music too. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then there's there's something unusual on on page two hundred eighty two. Uh huh. There is a specific hymn mentioned by name in the rubrics. Right. The hymn, "Sing My Tongue, the Glorious Battle." Right. Or some other hymn. Right. <laughs> Extolling the glory of the cross is uh-huh. that song, but it it seems to have preference for that specific one. Right. And and the only place I can think of offhand where something similar happens is at ordinations where Veni Sancte Spiritus is recommended. Right. At the at the. Um, at the ordination, but but you're right. It is somewhat unique to sort of have a recommendation there. This is this is one really um, strongly suggested hymn, but other ones other ones will work too. That's right. <laughs> there is actually I, I had to flip back and check this. Mm-hmm. There is another hymn mentioned in Holy Week, which is on Palm Sunday. Oh, in the after the palms, it uh, it does actually suggest all, all glory, glory, laud, and honor. Yeah, you're yeah. right. You're I mean, right. it's not required, but yeah. it says such as the hymn, all glory, laud, and honor, and in the same way, it's mentioned by name. Yeah, yeah. But good, yeah. Good Friday is kind of a quiet service. I don't, <laughs> think, I don't think there's too much more to say about it. Yeah, I mean, I think there's, I think, um, except service time. Oh right, yeah. service time. Well, and and communion from the reserve sacrament, mm-hmm. which I think is a I think is is an interesting sort of focal point of Good Friday. I think that um, I think that reading John's Gospel, which is much more, um, in some ways, what's the word it's not as you know the the synoptic gospel that you hear on palm sunday is much more realistic it's much more sort of earthbound and john's gospel um john's passion just like john's gospel is is more soaring mm-hmm. you know more cosmic yeah mm-hmm. um and so there's something i think powerful about in the context of the triduum knowing what good friday means in the grand scheme of things hearing john's passion read and um, the communion from the reserve sacrament, I think, sort of can, carries out that theme. The idea that even though this is this is an awful day in some ways, it is still Good Friday, mm-hmm. and there's a reason why we call it that. Um, and and even though we're we're saying we're not going to celebrate the Eucharist today because there's nothing to celebrate, we still think that 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 that. Um, 
that communion is important because we want to convey that Christ is present even in this moment. Yeah, that's really interesting. That's really powerful. Yeah. 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 So I say do communion from the reserve sacrament on Good Friday. Yeah, because it, it, I mean, it's unavoidable, that difference. Yeah. That all of a sudden, here's communion made available, but the last time you saw it celebrated was the day before. Yeah. 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 But then, then there's the issue of timing, right? right? So increasingly common is this insistence on doing the proper liturgy for Good Friday only at noon on Good Friday, mm-hmm. right? And this might even come from Mishnah. Um, well, we've mentioned these things by name, but you're reading from a priest's handbook by Dennis Michneau. So, yeah. Um, and he says the solemn liturgy of the passion and death of our Lord Jesus Christ should be celebrated in the afternoon or early evening hours. Um, so he is not even as specific as people have gotten. Yeah. And it's worth mentioning, Mishnah is is on the higher church end of ceremonial manuals, yeah. or manuals ceremonial. Um, <laughs> so, so if he's not even prescribing that this has to take place at noon, then I think I think there's a little more leeway in the tradition than than some people think that there is. Um, but he says for Good Friday evening, if the liturgy of the day takes place during the afternoon hours, a service at the end of the day may be pastorally desirable. Either evening prayer or the following form may be used. And for the following form, it's it's really sort of um, a commemoration. Uh, it's called the commemoration of the burial of our Lord Jesus Christ. And it's sort of a hybrid between Good Friday and Holy Saturday, Holy Saturday. Liturgy, yeah. liturgies. I don't, I don't love that practice. I don't love um, the message that unless you can be here at noon, Mm -hmm. then you are not welcome to participate in one of the central liturgies of the church year. But so it's interesting because what I was hearing you read in Mishnah, even though he doesn't specify which one, the implication seems to be that there is one. That that's, right. that seems to be important to right. his idea of the liturgical practice. Yeah, that this is a liturgy that's celebrated one time. I and and I I think there are, I think that there are potentially good reasons for that. Like we don't, I don't know a lot of places that do multiple Monday Thursday liturgies. No, and and the the least repeatable. And well, I mean Monday Thursday is tough, especially if you're stripping the altar. Then what do you do? Right, Just dress it up again. Right, exactly. Yeah. Um, the least repeatable, it seems to me, is the Easter vigil. Yes. Because yeah, no one has two vigils. No. Because, um, yeah, it's got to be one. Right. I mean, whether you're doing it at sundown or sunrise, you know, whatever, you're, whatever you have in mind for that service, it's something that happens once. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but, but, but so most, most places will have one Monday, Thursday liturgy, one Good Friday liturgy, one Easter vigil, if they have all three, which mm-hmm. not everyone does, let's be honest. Mm-hmm. Um, but... But the, the the sort of notion that we've that we've I think come to or that a lot of people have arrived at that we can only do Good Friday liturgy at noon on Good Friday because that's the hour at which Jesus hung on the cross mm-hmm. is is to me a misunderstanding of the function of time in liturgy. Um, that these liturgies don't take place in everyday time. Right. And it is not important that we celebrate the the um, that we celebrate Good Friday at the moment Jesus was was hanging on the cross because you know what he was in a different time zone anyway. <laughs> um, so you you would make this case differently if you were if we were recording this in Jerusalem. If we yeah maybe yeah. no I wouldn't because 
Because what's important, what's important about Good Friday is that this is part of the sequence. And what's important about Good Friday in particular is, is that, that those who were there at Monday Thursday, who got the new commandment, who got the institution of the Eucharist, who got that last supper, um, and those who will be present at the Easter vigil, who will be present at the resurrection, have that moment for lament mm-hmm. in the midst of mm-hmm. it. Mm-hmm. And if we say, the only way you're allowed to take part in this is if you take off work, because let's be honest, most people don't have Good Friday off work or off school anymore. Um, if we say that's the only way you can participate in this, we've taken one of the few moments that really has the capacity for lament um, and for sadness in our liturgy and really can bear the weight mm-hmm. of everything awful that happens in the world. Mm-hmm. And we've said it's only open to you under these specific specific circumstances. Yeah, that is tough. Yeah. Yeah. I would much rather places say, you know what? Forget what time traditionally we hold Jesus hung on the cross. Let's have Monday, Thursday and Good Friday at the same time in the evening when people can actually attend. Well, let me be provocative here and say, what's wrong with doing Good Friday at noon and at 7 p.m. or whenever you think it's convenient in the evening? Well, I, you know, I mean, that's also an option. Um, I, I think you're right. It's it's definitely more repeatable than... Um, than the Easter vigil. Mm-hmm. And I think more repeatable too than Monday Thursday. And I guess the reason I'm suggesting that is because there is this tradition associated with the noon hour and this day. Uh-huh. So I think that is meaningful to some segment of people still. Maybe, yeah. I mean, I'm, I'm hypothesizing. So I don't want to take that away, but at the same time, I, I completely sympathize with what you're saying about this not being available to people, uh, not being available to people outside of the noon hour and I think it should be. Yeah. So I wonder if it can't be can't be a both and. Yeah, I you know, I don't know if uh <laughs> even Mishnah says in here, nothing should detract from the total participation of all the people in the celebration of this liturgy. Uh, and I think that's part of it. You know, you want to have the community gathered to celebrate this moment together. Um, but so that's part of the impulse to have one yeah, service time you're saying? I think, I think that's part of it. Yeah. I don't, whether you find that compelling or not is another, um, I think there are people who view this as a non-repeatable liturgy that because it's part of a sequence, we shouldn't be doing it twice. Uh, that's an interesting, um, that's an interesting whether or not you find that compelling. That's an open know. question yeah, too. Um, I'm, I'm, let's, let's not settle that question. Can I, we'll leave it to our listeners to, to weigh in and tell us what to do. Yeah. Can I bring up a pet peeve? Please. That is the custom of choirs showing up for the, ser- and clergy too, uh-huh. showing up to the service in cassock only, uh-huh. uh, which is this, like the equivalent of having a dream where you show up somewhere in your underwear. Uh-huh. W- w- those people are underdressed for that liturgy. Cassocks are street dress. Uh-huh. And when you're in a service, you should be wearing cassock and surplus. Okay, <laughs> and I, I I brought some I brought some uh, some d- defense for this. Did you? Yeah, I actually I don't think I've seen this um, written before, but I I found a line about it in Mitchell. Okay, um, I would love to hear it. This is the Lionel Mitchell um, Lent Holy Week and Easter and the Great Fifty Days Ceremonial Guide, page seventy. 
the older custom of wearing black vestments and the Anglican custom in some places of vesting choir and acolytes in black cassocks without surplices on this day tends to reinforce the funeral theme. This latter custom apparently stems from the recognition that the three hours was not a liturgical service, and hence vestments were not worn, but only the cassock, the street dress of the, of the clergy. Uh, and I had never understood where that came from. I think it came from that three hours service tradition, uh-huh. that, which is, was typically a preaching service. And since it didn't come from the prayer book, I guess it was treated like um, for a non-liturgical service, you would just not wear a surplus. Yeah. Yeah. And w- what's really interesting is Mishno would tend to agree with you, mm-hmm. um, although he would, uh, in, in in a sense, uh, at least, he says, note on vestments, and this is a bit lengthy, those seeking simplicity may wish to celebrate the entire Good Friday liturgy in alb and passion-tied red stoles. Others will want to be vested in chasuble for the entire liturgy. Those who seek to retain the chasuble for the communion may wish to use all or part of the following adapted from traditional Western use. And then goes on to describe this sort of tradition of, of changing vestments, but but essentially prescribes alb and stole That's interesting. at the very least. And, and nowhere does he suggest cassock only. Nope. Yeah. I've, Shh. I think that tradition is pretty widespread, and, and I'm doing my best to stamp it out. No, you're right. I um I don't know that I've ever been anywhere that didn't do that mm. for Good Friday, um, which is kind of fascinating because I, I you know that's um that's an aspect of the of the day that I hadn't really looked into. Yeah, but it it appears that you're right that that's not a uh... so just let me say it again. Churches that wear cassocks only, you're celebrating Good Friday in your underwear. Just <laughs> just live with that for a minute. Yep. A little a little bit of levity in an otherwise stark Good Friday podcast. You know what uh, you know what worries me the most about that tradition though? Tell me. Is that I'm sure that there are priests who um connect that to the stripping of the altar. Oh, well there's something I didn't think about because you do see clergy take off their so many of their vestments and change. Well, yeah, I guess I've seen that clergy take off Eucharistic vestments and change into black cassocks mm-hmm. at the stripping of the altar. Right. So there is there is a, a vestment continuity that that continues there. I had not thought about that. Choirs don't take off their surplices while they're singing Psalm twenty two. <laughs> be a little bit too complicated. <laughs> Usually have enough trouble chanting Psalm twenty two in the dark. But this. But here's what Mishnah says. The celebrant and assisting ministers, having removed chasuble, dalmatic, and stole, come to the center and begin stripping the main altar. So he's describing them in albs. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, if you're if you're the place if you're the type of place that celebrates in cassock and surplus, and you have taken off the surplus in order to strip the altar, then I think it makes more sense. I guess so. I'm just thinking about choirs. I mean, because I can't tell the clergy what to do. I mean, I can, but they won't listen. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I just don't want my choir to show up in their underwear for anything. <laughs> Except a concert. So I, I have choirs sing concerts in a cassock uh-huh. because that's not a service. Uh-huh. So we don't put on surpluses for concerts. Right. But if if it's the Good Friday service, I don't I don't think we're just dressing in black to be somber and funereal. Yeah. I think we should wear what we wear for every other service. That's a that's a good point. Yeah. Yeah. But once again the color is red. There are places that have multiple color cassocks for exactly exactly for this contingency. Oh no, I don't mean I don't mean cassock color. Oh, you're talking about the color of Good Friday? Yeah. Well, that's kind of a non-issue, isn't it? Cuz the church should be stri- should be stripped. Yeah. 
But uh, I mean, Mishnah is saying you should be wearing vestments. Oh, red. So he's he's describing red stoles. Yeah, oxblood or passion tide red. Hmm, that's yeah. interesting. Yep. Should we wrap it up? Yeah, that's. Uh, I think that's all we've got for uh, Good Friday, right? Perhaps. So thanks for joining us today for this episode of All Things Right and Musical. Uh, if you've enjoyed this episode about Good Friday, we hope you'll tell us about it. You can find us on the web at writeandmusical.org. That's R-I-T-E and musical.org. You can also find us on Facebook and you can interact with David and I and with other listeners of the podcast. So a special thanks uh, to our generous patrons who support us on and this show on Patreon. And thank you for listening. We'll see you next time. When we talk about the Easter Vigil.